informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, thank you for joining us here today on AOA, Agriculture of America. Appreciate you joining us for the conversation. We have a great one lined up for you on today's program. We're going to talk about some of the economic data out this week and the inflationary numbers and much more, the Fed meeting. We're going to talk with Adam Johnson from Bullseye Brief in just a moment. Coming up in segment two, we're going to get a look at the livestock sector and uh, dive into uh, this volatility we've seen in the cattle market here the last couple of weeks and get perspective from Dennis Smith with Archer Financial Services. Coming up after the bottom of the hour in segment three, we're going to get an update on some of the issues impacting folks, uh, farmers in the European Union, the issues with the EU Green New Deal and as well as pesticide regulations and more. Bill Verts will join us. He was on the show a few months back. He's going to join us for an update coming up here later on. And then we'll wrap up the show today, have a conversation, get an update on the farm bill and much more with Kansas Senator Roger Marshall. That is all coming up here today on AOA. Well, first up, I wanted to get a little bit of a uh, Wall Street perspective on what is happening in terms of the economy, inflation. We got a lot of data out this week, the Fed meeting as well. Joining us here on AOA, you may have seen him on Bloomberg Television. He heads up the bullseyebrief.com. Adam Johnson is with us. Adam, thanks for joining us on AOA today. I hope you're doing well. Oh, doing great and uh, very happy to be with you, Jesse. You know, I'm from an Iowa farming family and I found my way to New York. So uh, I get to wear two hats when I'm with you and I think that's great. Well, that's Awesome. That is awesome. And uh, glad to uh, make this work to have you on AOA with us here for the first time, I believe. So uh, hopefully this isn't the last. Let's talk about things, Adam. Uh, A slew of economic data out this week. I know we got the consumer price index out on Tuesday morning. Uh, rose 0.1% month on month in November, maybe slightly above what some analysts expected. Uh, we're going to get the producer price index this week. We got a Fed meeting. There, there's a lot going on in terms of economic data out this week. Talk about it for us a little bit. Yeah, a lot of moving parts. And Jesse, I'm fine with today's numbers, and I'll tell you why. Consumer prices, or the CPI index, is is probably our easiest to understand indicator of inflation. It was 3.1% this morning. And while I know that is still above the Fed target of 2%, 3.1 is down from 9.1. I mean, at the height when all the supply chains were messed up and there were, there were all those containers backed up at the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach and everywhere else, we couldn't get the stuff we wanted. Uh, prices were off the charts. CPI was 9.1%. And that is why the Fed kept hiking rates up. Well, now all of a sudden, as I say, we're back to 3.1. We're not at 2, but we're at 3.1, which is why the Fed has signaled that it's going to stop raising rates, why mortgages have started to come back down. And I think we're doing, we're doing okay. We're not perfect. Life is seldom perfect, but we're doing okay. We're moving the right direction. And by the way, tomorrow we get producer prices, and they're expected to be up only 1%. They were as high as almost 12 so from 12 down to 1 on PPI, from 9 down to 3 on CPI, I'll take it. 
Well, and I know a lot of folks are concerned, you know, about the interest rates in general. And, you know, it's a great point you bring up that we're, we're coming down, so to speak. And one has to wonder, yeah. will the Fed start to potentially cut rates early in 2024? I know a lot of folks, especially a lot of farmers and ranchers are, are going to be watching some of that uh, here pretty closely as they're looking at new sure. investments in equipment and land, et cetera, Adam. You bet. Well, you know. Uh, our, our, our listeners understand the futures markets probably better than anybody else, certainly better than the guys in, 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 in New York and maybe even better than the guys in Chicago, right? Because that's how you hedge. Well, and yet at the same time, some of our listeners might not realize there's actually a market in Fed funds futures. So not only can you hedge your, your corn forward or your, your oil needs forward, you can actually try to use the futures markets to figure out what the Fed is going to do. And if you look at where those Fed fund futures um, are trading right now, it effectively implies no more rate hikes, none. And in fact, that we will get three rate cuts by July. And that's very different from two to three months ago where they were not so sure about cuts and they actually were still pricing in more hikes. So we have come a long way um, from, call it, uh, you know, September, October. And that is why the stock market has moved up. If you ask me what I think, well, I'd tell you, look at the wisdom of the market, the Fed fund futures. Um, but I also think that it is reasonable to expect the Fed to start to lower rates. And i tell you why. You know, think about it. They had to lift rates because inflation ran up as, as, as high as it did. Well, inflation has come way down. So it would be logical that they would start to lower rates. If you ask me whether I think they're going to go back to zero, no, we're not going to do that. They only put rates down to zero because we still had a hangover from, you know, the financial crisis of 08 and then that crazy thing called COVID hit us and it was desperate and they had to flood the money with market or they had to flood the market with money. And as they did that, they drove rates down to zero. So COVID's not coming back, uh, nor are zero interest rates. But I think it's reasonable to think that the Fed will start to lower rates at some point. And so you might see the mortgages, which were at 8% and are now 7 and a quarter. Maybe you see them go to 5 and a quarter, 5 and a half, and that would certainly help a lot of people. Definitely would. Definitely would. Adam, any thoughts for folks as they're maybe, you know, looking at their investment portfolio or, or balancing their the books on the farmer ranch or in rural America here as we near the end of the year, look ahead to next year? What do you see on the horizon? Is there anything that folks should be looking at, maybe be excited about or thinking about here in the next uh, few months ahead? Sure. Well, you know, I call it the member Wayne Gretzky, right? The great, the great hockey player who famously said, skate to where the puck is going, not where it is. Well, Jesse, where we're going is a lot better than where we've been. And we're making progress every day. And so, you know, for all of our listeners who are out there making it happen, working the farm, I would say keep doing what you're doing. And um, by the way, when you have some extra money to put to work, you don't need to make a, a grand gesture and, um, and, and, and suddenly go deploy all your capital, whether it's in new equipment or in, or in stocks. But you know, put a little bit in every month. Uh, my whole thing, Jesse, is um, time in the market, not timing the markets. So I put a little bit of money in every month. Um, I run the American Ingenuity Portfolio. I'm a growth investor. I'm an optimist by definition. I believe tomorrow's going to be better than today. And I think there's so many wonderfully innovative companies in this country that I want to participate in. 
from the obvious ones like Facebook and, and Amazon and Google to um, the lesser known ones that are still wonderful like in cybersecurity, Palo Alto software, or you know the guys who help us reach customers, salesforce.com, or companies leading the charge in automation like Symbotic that's converting all the Walmart warehouses into automated robotic warehouses and saving Walmart a ton of money so that Walmart can pass those savings to us. There's stuff like that that's exciting to do, Jesse. Definitely. Well, I know folks can find you and uh, get more info, bullseyebrief.com. And Adam, appreciate the time and insight. We'll get you back on the show again in the future. Thanks so much for joining us on AOA today. Thank you, Jesse. Adam Johnson there with bullseyebrief.com and the American Ingenuity portfolio. All right, coming up next, we are going to talk about the livestock market trade and get perspective with Dennis Smith from Archer Financial Services here on AOA. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Do you know how much one stock of wheat is worth? Well, you're about to find out. Wheat is a member of the grass family that produces a dry, one-seeded fruit commonly called a kernel. There are about 1 million kernels of wheat in a bushel, about 50 kernels per stock, which if we do the math is about 20,000 stocks of wheat per bushel. That means that if a bushel is worth $8, then each stock is worth about 0.04 cents. So you would need 2,500 wheat stocks to equal $1. Now that one bushel of wheat will yield approximately 42 pounds of white flour or 60 pounds of whole wheat flour. A bushel of wheat makes about 42 pounds of pasta or 210 servings of spaghetti. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. And in the United States, one acre of harvested land yields an average of around 45 to 50 bushels of wheat. So if you ever wondered how much one stock of wheat was worth, now you know. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Loss of sight won't blind our vision. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. 
Learn more at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, we segue from our Wall Street economy conversation and now go over to the livestock trade a little bit more here on today's program. As uh, this cattle market's been quite a wild ride here the last couple of weeks, looking at the futures trade, pretty volatile. I know a lot of uh, folks in cattle country have been watching as we've taken a lot of premium off of this market. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to take a look at some of the other uh, moves in this market trade as a whole. Joining us now, Dennis Smith with Archer Financial Services here on AOA. Dennis, welcome back to the program. Great to have you on. I hope you're doing well. Jesse, thank you very much for having me. Well, Dennis, let's talk first about this cattle market trade. And, you know, I've been watching closely some of the uh, CFTC fund data to see where the funds are sitting uh, in this cattle complex. I know they've been a, a pretty big driver here in terms of this roller coaster that we've been on uh, looking at futures prices in both live and feeder cattle. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing in terms of some of this fund money movement in the cattle trade and just the overall tone, are, are we starting to kind of, you know, calm this thing down a little bit? What do you think, Dennis? Yeah, I think we are beginning to stabilize this market. Uh, the What I call or consider the very important seasonal December low, I think, is probably established last week. We've had two higher uh, sessions in a row, and that's uh, that's saying a lot because we had not had that uh, in, in nearly a month of trade. Uh, so the 11-12-week break, I think, is, is maybe beginning to stabilize. That's a big if. Uh, we were down uh, almost 200 points early today, and now we've snapped back trading about 70 lower, 100 off the session lows. We've seen tremendous volatility with the CME expanding the daily ranges, allowing for some, some very wild and quick moves. Feeder cattle futures have been trading a huge volume. They've been trading as much as uh, 45 to 60% of their open interest every day. Uh, so it's almost casino-type action in the feeders. And hopefully we're going to begin to sort of slow things down and stabilize and take some volatility out of this market. Yeah, and I know, uh, you know, in terms of looking at the, the futures versus cash uh, right now, too, I mean, you know, you look out at feedlot country and we've seen cash pull back. But even then, uh, you know, a lot of folks are, are looking out there towards the end of the year and, and seeing if they can you know, move some cattle to the sale barn, et cetera. So looking at the correlation between the cash market and the futures market, that's something that I know a lot of folks are keeping a close eye on as well, Dennis. Yeah, you know, we had late, late last week the, uh, the the live cattle market about uh, seven to as much as eight cents discounted to the cash market. And the Packers have been successful at, at, at breaking and pulling that cash market down, but yet the futures are uh, uh, significantly under the cash. A couple of things that I think are really important, and the Packer margins are improving. Uh, 
I think they're uh, operating at profitable margins. Uh, some would disagree and say they're still at a slight loss. Uh, but regardless, it is a fact that margins have improved. Uh, the other key thing, volume in the box beef trade, Jesse, last week, uh, spiked sharply higher, 944 loads. By far the highest box beef volume, weekly volume uh, of the entire year, and in fact the highest weekly volume going clear back to November of 2020. And that tells me that the end user, fully aware uh, of uh, tight supplies down the road, is coming in and booking beef aggressively. Well, I know I'm keeping an eye on uh, retail demand as well as export demand, too, here. And I know some of the uh, beef export numbers uh, have printed some pretty low numbers here in the last few weeks. But, you know, you think about these markets uh, in terms of retail demand, too, and that's having an impact on, on the beef side and the pork side here, especially as we head into the holiday season. Is that something you're watching as well as the, the retail demand, the domestic and the export demand here, Dennis? Well, yeah, definitely the export demand is off, and I think that will probably continue to be the case simply because of tight supplies. Now, I realize uh, that tight supplies is not really a factor at this moment, but but I suspect uh, if we start placing fewer cattle in November, as, as uh, evidenced in the upcoming cattle on feed report, and placements are lower again in December, and probably lower again in January, we're all going to be talking about tight-fed cattle supplies again fairly quickly. Uh, The export market is a function of of tight supplies and and higher beef prices. But domestically, uh, there's a lot of confusion and uncertainty, and I'm certainly not an expert on on the retail beef pricing standpoint. But as long as people have jobs, as long as there's no recession, I have to be optimistic toward uh, beef clearance. How about over in this hog trade? I I noticed that yesterday uh, we saw the... uh... Weighted average price break uh, 50. It's down was down to 49.66, I believe, was the number I saw. And this hog market uh, futures trade overall has just kind of been sluggish. It's it's felt to me like it's kind of followed cattle to some degree because it's looking for its own direction. Uh, talk to me about hogs right now. What are you seeing there, Dennis? Hogs are a completely miserable trade right now, and the industry has been losing so much money, so much equity uh, for for really an entire year. Uh, Jesse, a lot of people are now comparing uh, the losses sustained in the hog industry right now to 1998, uh, which is when hog uh, prices in the fall of 98 went to like eight cents a pound. Um, Some say uh, that losses in the industry are greater than that of 1998. So we're looking at uh, uh, elevated sow slaughter since last June, and I guess I'm really hopeful that the upcoming quarterly hog and pig report shows some really clear and solid evidence of a, of a major contraction in, in U.S. hog breeding numbers. Dennis, I want to segue over to the grains a little bit with you here as uh, we look at corn. Uh, kind of hovered around right now, March core, that 485 mark. And you, you think about the wheat trade that's been rallying and 
we, we pulled back a bit on Monday, but then starting to reverse course a little bit uh, here on Tuesday. Your thoughts in the grain trade overall is it feels like we're we're largely kind of in that holiday malaise already slash uh, South American weather market here too. Yeah, the corn market, in my opinion, is we've bottomed out in the corn market, and that's not a very popular opinion, especially especially amongst the, the livestock uh, guys. Uh, but uh, the, the corn market actually touched a downside objective of 450 in the December, and it stayed there for about 30 seconds. And the market's come up from, from that 450 area. At one point, Jesse, I thought corn prices had the potential to go clear down to $4, but that has not happened, uh, despite a record large corn crop here in the United States. I'm optimistic on corn because uh, I think the, the the crop in Brazil will be smaller than expected, mostly due to reduced acreage on the second corn crop. They're, uh, they're challenging, they're facing some challenging weather in Brazil, and I think that will reduce the uh, the acreage devoted to the safrina crop, the second corn crop. And uh, I'm also expecting reduced corn acreage in the U.S. next spring. So I, I think the corn market is uh, grinding higher. I'm not wildly bullish, but, but I think the low is in place. Well, and I know, too, as we head through the next couple of weeks, especially on that corn market, to your point, I know a lot of those bin doors are kind of locked up here at this point, and probably it's going to be a case of regional basis that's going to try to pull any corn out of, out of farmers' hands at this point, Dennis. Would you agree? Yeah, most definitely. The basis will have to do a lot of work, and uh, for, for uh, the most part, I, I think the Midwestern corn and soybean uh, producer is in pretty good financial shape, and they can afford to hold off and wait for a rally. Uh, the ethanol grind is profitable. Uh, corn exports are improving compared to last year. And uh, certainly livestock numbers as far as feeding potential is going to be down this year. Uh, but, but I think the, uh, the, the uh, good e ethanol business and improving exports is enough to keep corn prices uh, edging upward. Well, we do appreciate the insight, Dennis Smith with Archer Financial Services. Dennis, thanks so much for joining us on AOA again, and we'll look forward to having you back on the show real soon. Thanks so much. Thank you. And you can learn more at archerfinancials.com. Again, Dennis Smith with Archer Financial Services. All right, up next, we're going to head over to the European Union and get an update on some of the regulation issues uh, facing farmers and ranchers over there. Bill Vertz, journalist, will join us next here on AOA, Agriculture of America. On the December episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we learn about the Consider Corn Challenge 4 and finding new uses for corn as a feedstock with Troy Schneider and Sarah McKay from NCGA's Market Development Action Team. The Consider Corn Challenge is an open innovation competition that market development hosts every other year. We look to establish biomaterial products and technology that utilizes corn. So we're looking into the future. A lot of our winners to date, they've spanned a variety of different industries 
industrial uses. So that's things from bio-based plastics to replacing petroleum-based chemicals with these bio-based corn-based sources instead. If you take all previous 15 winners from Consider Corn Challenge 1 through 3, if they reach full commercialization with their products, the potential for additional corn demand would be 3.4 billion bushel. Learn more about the winning projects online at ncga.org and join us the first Wednesday of every month for the monthly grind on AOA. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Soybeans are lower this morning while corn and wheat are higher. Both stock futures and the commodity sector saw a quick bump in values this morning on the release of the inflation data, but that strength waned as traders further digested those numbers. Now, Fed fund futures immediately increased the odds of a Fed rate cut by the March meeting when this morning's data was released, which represents a bit of a disconnect with what the data indicates versus what the Fed has been telling us for the past year. The Fed again repeatedly said that it would rather err on the side of too high for too long rather than pivot too soon as they did in the 80s. Now, today's data combined with last week's employment data is suggesting that inflation is remaining quite sticky in those sectors. However, the group think on Wall Street is that the Fed must start pivoting early in 2024, but that group think has been wrong for the past 20 months. Now, soybeans are down pretty sharply this morning. They had a nice rally yesterday, and since testing and rejecting the sub-$13 level last Thursday, January beans have rallied close to $0.40 per bushel. Now, USDA did lower Brazil's soy production estimate, just 2 million metric tons to 161 million metric tons. That would still be a record. However, with the early heat and dryness, a lot of private forecasters are seeing the crop likely in the mid-150 million metric ton range. Now, the forecast ahead is again hot and mostly dry for the next seven days or so for central and northeastern Brazil before return to showers and a wetter pattern set in next week. U.S. soybeans and corn are now enjoying a price advantage to Brazil. And export sales for beans while picking up, though, do remain sharply lower than a year ago. Soybean inspections last week reached a 10-week low, just 36 million bushels, and trending down 16% compared to last year. U.S. FOB corn prices, however, are close to a 40-cent discount to Brazil in the December to February time slot, and U.S. corn exports are running 35% higher than a year ago, with inspections up 28%. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Kids across America are going to school hungry. Millions of kids every day. Hungry kids get sick more often and can struggle in school. It can be harder for them to focus and learn. But one simple thing can help change all of this for a hungry child in America. Good healthy food and the energy it brings. With help from caring people across America, no Kid Hungry is providing healthy meals and hope to hungry kids so they can build better futures. We want to ensure that all of our kids have healthy meals every day. Thank you. Thank you for helping feed our kids. To learn more about ending child hunger in America, go to helpnokidhungry.org today. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for sticking with us here on AOA today, Agriculture of America. And uh, happy to have joining us now for an update on some of the issues that have been facing farmers and ranchers in the European Union. 
We've had him on the show before. It's been a few months, so pleased to have him on with us. Actually, my first conversation with Bill Verts over in the European Union. And Bill, thanks for joining us here on AOA once again. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, let's get up to speed. I know uh, the last time you were on the show, you were talking about a lot of the the news headlines that were coming out of the Netherlands, some of the uh, challenges for farmers and ranchers there with government regulation. We've had a lot of uh, discussion about the EU Green Deal and regulations on glyphosate, et cetera. So can you just you know, kind of thousand foot view, get us up to speed on where things stand currently in the European Union? There's a lot to say here, but uh, you'll cut me off when I run out of time. So essentially <laughs> what what happened is that the, the Netherlands had another election. This is a parliamentary election. And what happens now is that the, this, this new parliament tries to form a coalition. And it looks like the farmer citizens movement is going to be a part of that coalition. Now, they're still in negotiations. But what that would mean is that essentially that the farmers would get a big say in the next government and the ag policies that they've been protesting over the years in the Netherlands. So that means a big win for farmers because actual farmers will be part of that conversation. Who knows? Maybe maybe even a farmer as the Minister of Agriculture. What a crazy concept for the first time. Uh, so that is, that is good news for farmers in the Netherlands. It seems that not only protesting works, but also political action also does translate into, into real results. Uh, when we had the whole glyphosate debate, glyphosate was renewed for another 10 years because the ministers couldn't agree or disagree on whether it should be extended or not. So it was kicked back, it was kicked back to bureaucrats. And in the European Commission, they looked at the actual scientific studies and they said, well, I mean, there's no, there's no finding of it being problematic for either farmers, the environment or consumers. So we're going to extend it for another 10 years. And on the European Green Deal, it doesn't look good for those who suggested that European Green Deal, because one of the cornerstone legislations, which is called the Sustainable Use of Pesticides, which was planning on cutting pesticide use in half, by 2030, that actually also failed in the European Parliament. So a lot of farmers had been saying, this is just not feasible. We cannot do this. We cannot do this while keeping the yield on the level that is actually sustainable. Uh, and, and that was also struck down. So a lot of good news. It seems that the political pushback has actually worked. I was going to say, it seems like to me, uh, mostly good news there on a lot of those issues. When, when you think about it and some of that pushback, some of that you know, I guess uh, grassroots kind of pushback from farmers and ranchers there and, and folks who are agriculture folks across the European Union. Uh, in terms of the Green New Deal, I, I know we, we've seen a lot of talk about the use of green energy and more here in the U.S. and around the world. We, we've had COP28 ongoing, of course, in the Middle East here the last few weeks, a lot of discussions about climate and more. In terms of the Green New Deal, and you mentioned that it, it sounds like it could be kind of failing here i mean is there something that maybe this if this does indeed fail does this maybe come back to the table in a few years down the road bill what do you think what are you hearing there uh, well that's a big question because we have elections next year so the european uh, union will have elections so the european parliament all the member states of the uh, of, of the eu will vote for a new parliament in june 2024 and and then we're going to have a very different situation which we don't know about because the voters will decide but what is super interesting in that campaign is that some of the major parties have shifted their narratives from what they were talking about in the last election, in which you know if you if you if you posed for a selfie with Greta Thunberg, you were almost immediately elected. That was 2019. Now many of the parties describe themselves as the pro-farmer parties. So they've completely shifted the narrative, and they see the farmers as an important 
um, a, a constituency, and not only because necessarily farmers are so such imp uh, so important as a voting block, but also because the the citizens, the consumers, also view the the farmers as an important voice. So when the in general, in many European countries, if you if you're against the farmer, you lose politically. I, 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 it's my mm. understanding that in North America, that's not exactly the case. But in many European countries, people look at themselves and they say, well, I came from a farming family. So if there's politicians doing something that contradicts what the farmers want, then it must be bad. And so politicians have woken up to that reality. And probably that election will be fatal to a lot of the policies that wanted to attack farmers in the in the last few years. That is a very fascinating thought to think about, uh, indeed. And uh, I would uh, agree with with some of your sentiment there. There's, uh, it's interesting to see that shift in Europe. One has to wonder if uh, that shift would maybe uh, continue to maybe permeate over here to the U.S. I don't know. We'll have to see. In terms of pesticides, I, I know we were talking about that a little bit as well, and uh, getting pesticides uh, renewed. For 10 years so i have to think that's a that's a pretty big win for farmers in the european union uh, talk a little bit more about that and you know some of the grassroots kind of push to to get that renewed for bill uh, for farmers bill yeah i mean so i mean the whole conversation on glyphosate is started the opposition to glyphosate is started by environmental environmental activist campaigns uh, some of them are conspiratorial because they think farmers are just trying to poison consumers uh, others uh, just have like you know just an opposition to you know the, the the businesses that produce these type of chemicals i mean glyphosate this this really shouldn't be a debate anymore i mean glyphosate even among all the crop protection chemicals farmers know this for decades a lot of consumers are just finding this out is a very very safe product and a product that is needed to ensure the yields and and it's and it's chosen not to be used by some farmers in the organic sector and that's completely fine and those consumers who want to buy those products should also buy those products but we've had this 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 asinine debate over the safety when that has been established for so long in Europe and it's a it's a it's it was a narrow vote because the we in Europe essentially even if an agency says this is safe politicians still have to approve it one by one and because they couldn't reach a majority because in some countries like Germany the green party said we want to ban it and other countries they said no we need it for the farmers it, they couldn't reach a conclusion, so it was kicked back to the bureaucracy, and that now it was extended for 10 years. That means that in 2033, we'll have to have the same debate all over again. We're never going to be done with mm -hmm. this. It's an ongoing battle. And farmers are part of that debate. So the farmers' representatives, which they have an organization called Copa Cogeca, and they do protests. They talk to politicians as well, where they say, look, we need this. It, farmers don't use pesticides because they want to make an agrochemical company rich or because they try to poison consumers, they, they they use it because they need to ensure that they fight the pests. If there's an alternative that works just as well, farmers will use that. This is what we have. This is the best we have to ensure that food prices don't explode. And what we've seen in Europe over the last few years is that now fewer and fewer consumers can afford the food that they previously could. And so we need to ensure that we have a system in which uh, food prices remain stable. I wonder too, and this might be me speculating a little bit here, and we could just kind of talk about this uh, with some of these um, these wins in European agriculture. And I know thinking about the relationship between the EU and the US in terms of ag trade, I wonder if that could possibly help open some more doors and, and get a, a new free trade agreement done and 
and, and work on some of those things and, and strengthen that relationship on an agriculture trade front between the EU and the U.S. What do you think about that, Bill? Well, my organization, Consumer Choice Center, we advocate for free trade. We'd like to see a free trade agreement between the European Union and, and the United States happen. We had a go at it, right? I mean, we failed at this with TTIP. It failed. I mean, I have to say this, by the way, it's also some farmers who believe that the American products would have been unfair competition to them. So there was also a farmer voice that was against this free trade agreement, particularly in Belgium, which was ultimately the state, the country that made it fail uh, um, um, back then. I think we should have another go at this. And and what, what is happening now with the fact that gene editing is becoming available in the European Union within the next five to 10 years um, uh, for, for, for breeders, for seed breeders, that means that we have, we're removing one of the big roadblocks we had last time around for a free trade agreement. This idea that are oh, the Americans, they're breeding Franken foods and in Europe, we're good old school, the, the regular, the, you know, the way it's supposed to be done. That is sort of slowly fading out and that means that the new trade agreement with whichever administration we're going to see in the future in the united states might be possible but there's there's a lot of long hurdles and it also means that a lot of producers and retailers will have to understand that free trade will benefit both sides it means that you get great uh, uh, european produce that we get to sell to you but it also means that we get access to the variety of products that are made in the united states which are often made more efficiently i mean if you just look at the numbers american farmers across the board are not just more sustainable they're actually also more efficient than european farmers and i think that understanding that will make that will take some time to build but i think the wins we just had now in europe show us that this is possible Bill, we got about a minute here before we wrap it up. Any final thoughts for us? Maybe any takeaways you think that American farmers could learn from some of these situations that have happened this year in European agriculture? Yeah, I think especially at the Dutch with the Dutch example, I think a lot of farmers probably in, in the Netherlands believe that they were essentially going to be running against the wall, were trying to change the mind of the government. But that really turned out not to be true. Like farmers really do have a voice. So it turns out if farmers get active, they organize and they say, okay, these are the this is the legislation that we don't want, or this is the legislation that would help us be better and achieving the goals that maybe the government has and can be reached through a different way. That does work. So you know, whether it's signing a petition, organizing in, in, in one way or another, don't think that you are essentially just a victim of government policy. You can actually have an impact. We've seen that in the Netherlands. And it from starting from the Netherlands, this has changed all of EU policy. So I think it's super important that farmers don't despair at the idea that they can't do anything about it. If they organize, they can. Bill, I know folks can uh, find you online and uh, read some of your blog posts and stay up to date on issues over in the European Union. Where can they find you at, Bill? Yeah, they can go on consumerchoicecenter.org uh, or they can find me on X at Wirtz, W-I-R-T-Z, Bill. Fantastic. Bill Wirtz, thanks for joining us here on AOA today, giving us an update on some of the agriculture issues in the European Union. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. All right. Coming up next year on Agriculture of America, we'll have a conversation about the current state of the farm bill on Capitol Hill. And we'll talk about the EATS Act with Senator Roger Marshall from Kansas. That's next on AOA. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. 
right now. Cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments and ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. The V Foundation has the skill, the speed, and the strength to achieve victory over cancer. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Learn more at V.org. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. We are the nation's largest integrated healthcare system, providing life-changing care to over 9 million veterans. Our hands are busy, competent, skilled, healing, helping, and friendly. A place where diverse teams come together hand in hand to provide full patient-centered care. Working in state-of-the-art facilities with influential leaders in healthcare, all with a single goal in mind, to help veterans heal, recover, and get their lives back in a place where everyone plays a part and where your efforts are truly appreciated. A place so innovative and forward-thinking that we're rebuilding hands and where even robots lend a hand. Join hands with us. Learn more at vacareers.va.gov. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're joined by Will Stafford, a member of the CHS Government Affairs team in Washington, D.C., to give us a farm bill and legislative update. Will, the 2018 farm bill was recently extended for a year. What does that mean for farmers? We think that that's a good thing. Um, Rather than a short-term extension, like a month or two, this does give some certainty for farmers and agribusinesses that have been using some of these programs for five years now. And it also gives members of Congress uh, plenty of time to get a five-year extension done. Will, when do you expect the new farm bill to be approved? You know, it's hard to say right now. Generally, when Congress gets a new deadline, they like to push it up until that deadline. But leaders in both the House and the Senate, such as House Chairman G.T. Thompson of the House Agriculture Committee, have said many times that they are going to continue the work, continue through the end of this calendar year, and and really hit the ground running early on in 2024. So I'm still confident that with the leadership in place in Congress on the Agriculture Committees, in both the Senate and the House, they will get a five-year bill done. Hopefully, they can get it done earlier in the year. Um, But if it has to go a little longer, I still think they do get one done. What are priorities for CHS and its owners in the new farm bill? So we kind of have two buckets of legislative priorities. One are more farmer-focused priorities on behalf of our owners, things that we hear about as important to them. First and foremost is always protecting crop insurance, making sure that there's a strong safety net program in there with Title I commodity programs uh, like the ARC and PLC program, and that they're working as intended for our growers. Number two are more areas that are important to us as a business. So we look at things like the trade title, trade promotion programs, things along those lines. Thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. 
Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted card. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. Joining us now, pleased to have a conversation with Kansas Senator Roger Marshall. And Senator, thanks for making the time to join us on the program here today. I hope you're doing well. Well, I, I am, and it's great to be on. I love to talk agriculture. It doesn't get as much uh, airtime up here on the Hill, so I'm just glad to talk to someone that actually understands agriculture, and I know your listeners do as well. So I think we got some good information to pass on to them. Well, let's start uh, information regarding the Farm Bill. I know, of course, we got the extension of the 2018 Farm Bill, and now we're going through the continuing to go through the process of figuring out and getting a new five-year Farm Bill done. I know we've got some appropriations fights that have been thrown in there, too, that are kind of slowing the process down a little bit. But give us an update. What are you hearing in terms of getting a farm bill done, Senator Marshall? Just just well, I, I wish I could give you a, a lot of good news, but I don't. I, I think we're no closer today than we were two years ago. And I just, not to pick on the administration, but agriculture has just never been a priority for this particular White House. And I think the Farm Bill is a great example of it. Uh, we can spend hundreds of billions of dollars all across the country, across the world, uh, and, and, but there's not time to, t- to fix uh, a Farm Bill. And I guess I'm grateful. I'm going to start by thanking Speaker Mike Johnson for getting, um, getting a, the current Farm Bill extended. And I'm afraid your listeners will like the current extension better than what we're facing in a new Farm Bill. Uh, so we're pretty far apart. The, obviously, the Democrats' efforts are always centered around the food stamp programs. We think a farm bill should be centered around the American farmer and making sure that we have you know good price points for whether it's wheat or corn or what that is. So I think it comes down to money right now. And right now, this the farm bill that we're facing right now is, now is just strictly a nutrition bill, and it has, it's not enough for the farmer. And it, it sounds like you bring up coming down to money, and we've heard a lot of talk that there's really not a lot of new money out there available for this farm bill. Is that the case? Yeah, that is just it. I mean, in many cases, we feel like I'm part of a company that's broke, and that's because we are, that we're going to spend $900 billion on interest this year. $900 billion on interest. That's more than what we're spending on the military. So just like any business, when you start paying the the banker too much, there's no money left at home. Uh, And and that's where we are right now. And I'm going to give you one quick example. For the nutrition programs, Pat Roberts Farm Bill, 
from uh, 2018, they budgeted $60 billion a year, but we're spending $180 billion a year on food stamps, the nutrition programs. And, and of course, I want everyone to eat. I don't want anyone to go home hungry, but my goodness, to go from 60 to $180 billion a year, um, you know, just to be frank, we need folks to go back to work. And, and, and I, I think that's a good thing, by the way, is to have a job and contributing to society. So the food stamp program, the nutrition programs have just broken the, the bank on this one. Well, we will see if I know some folks have said they want to see more farm in the farm bill. And uh, by the sound of it, I think you would agree with that, Senator Marshall. Hopefully <laughs> we can get that done here uh, sometime uh, before we really get into the presidential election cycle, right? Exactly. And we'll, we'll see if they'll be more serious about it. I think the White House will be a little bit more voted, uh, motivated when the elections come around. But I, but I just want to talk about just for one second about interest rates. All these we, we spend hours and hours, weeks and weeks up here talking about these one off government programs. But the number one thing the White House could do for the American farmer is to get the interest rates back down where they were when they took office. That, you know, the average American farmer maybe has a million dollar operation loan each year. And they were paying 2%. Now they're paying 9% interest on that. Now you can do the math, but that's $70,000 more a year in interest that those folks are spending. And guess what? The average income for a farmer was uh, prior to this president. It was about $70,000. So with interest rates that high, uh, even with a good farm bill, it's going to be hard for farmers to, to make it work right now. So that's what – and then you throw in the prices of diesel and fertilizers – which have also gone up. Those are the real problems the American farmers face. And the farm bill should be a help. Uh, it allows the farmer to plant next year's crops. But really, those interest rates and energy costs for diesel and, and fertilizers are still the numbers one and two problems that American agriculture is facing now. Senator Marshall, I want to ask you for an update on the EATS Act, and I know you introduced this along with your counterpart, Ashley Hinson of Iowa, in the House. There's been plenty of opposition to the EATS Act, and it seems like the main argument from the opposition is that it violates states' rights. That seems to be their biggest argument. What would you say to that, and give us an update on where the EATS Act stands currently? Right. Well, I think the EATS Act's in a pretty good spot on the House. On the Senate side, we're facing an uphill battle, though. And I just want to remind your your listeners that the EATS Act was in response to California's Proposition 12 Act, which is really an animal welfare and animal rights activists are the ones that pushed that through, that, that California wants to tell Kansas uh, producers how to raise how to raise hogs. Uh, if we let them tell us how to raise hogs, they're going to next tell us how to raise chickens, and they're trying to do that. They're going to tell us how to raise cattle. They're going to tell us what type of fertilizer we can put on our wheat as well. So to me, it's protecting Kansas state rights. It's protecting the rights of our farmers to be able to produce um, what we do in the way we think is best. And to, to combat this, I just challenge your listeners, make sure that we're sharing with everybody we can how much we care about animals. That's really what this comes down to. And I think that, that people just that never, you know, never raised animals, that never went to 4-H, that were never part of future farmers of America, just have no really um, idea how much compassion we want to sh- we do have for our animals as well. So to me, our legislation would be to allow Kansas producers or whatever state your listeners are in to produce their products the way that they think is best, not let California tell us how to do it. 
And my gosh, I couldn't sit there thinking, okay, for California, we're going to raise hogs one way. Well, Texas wants theirs another. New Jersey wants theirs another way. How, how can you do that? Uh, we need to protect the commerce as well. Well, Senator Marshall, do appreciate your time. We're up against the clock. Any final thoughts for us real quick? Well, thank, thanks for having me on. I just want to wish you and your listeners a uh, very Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah as well. And hopefully everyone gets to spend some time with their families. I hope I can get interest rates to come down. Parts of Kansas still suffering with drought. I still tell my staff every week the biggest challenge in Kansas is Mother Nature and the, and the weather. So hopefully everybody has a, just a great holiday season and spend some good time with family. Thanks so much. We appreciate the time. Thank you, Senator Roger Marshall from Kansas, joining us here on AOA Today. We're out of time. Thanks for joining us. Have a great one. We'll talk to you tomorrow here on Agriculture of America. On the December episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we learn about the Consider Corn Challenge 4 and finding new uses for corn as a feedstock with Troy Schneider and Sarah McKay from NCGA's Market Development Action Team. The Consider Corn Challenge is an open innovation competition that market development hosts every other year. We look to establish biomaterial products and technology that utilizes corn. So we're looking into the future. A lot of our winners to date, they've spanned a variety of different industries industrial uses. So that's things from bio-based plastics to replacing petroleum-based chemicals with these bio-based corn-based sources instead. If you take all previous 15 winners from Consider Corn Challenge 1 through 3, if they reach full commercialization with their products, the potential for additional corn demand would be 3.4 billion bushel. Learn more about the winning projects online at ncga.org and join us the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind on AOA. Times of transition, whether from a sad event or a joyful one, can leave us feeling adrift. Social connections are an important part of a healthy life. Being isolated and lonely can be harmful to your health. It can lead to high blood pressure, a greater risk of heart disease, and early onset dementia. So it's important to build and maintain connections to people, not just in your family, but others whose relationships bring meaning to your life. Trying a new hobby, volunteering, exercising, even using your phone or other device to stay in touch with others. All these can be great ways to keep up your social connections and your physical and mental well-being. Visit connecttoeffect.org to see if you're at risk of social isolation and find ways to get connected. Presented by AARP Foundation with support from United Healthcare.